0: Well, let's continue worshiping the Lord. Let's open up his word. Matthew chapter five. We're in our series, Living Up. We're walking through the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And maybe this is your first Sunday with us. And you're thinking, I need to catch up. Here, I'm, you're, you're in a series and I haven't been a part of that. Let me remind you, Matthew is in your Bible. And so we're still in chapter five of this chapter five through seven series. And so even this afternoon, you could go home and read Matthew one through 37 and you'll be caught up. And all the messages that we've preached in this series so far, they're online as well. And I encourage you, don't miss these truths that we're seeing from Jesus here. But now we take on verses 38 through 48 here in just a moment. I'm not proud of it necessarily, but I will say to you that I do like the show Judge Judy. Anybody ever see Judge Judy and the channel I sometimes have on in the morning, it comes on right after the local news and I get to see Judge Judy and and I'm kind of riveted and you learn a lot about the law from watching Judge Judy. One thing I've learned from Judge Judy is this, if you ever get into some kind of agreement with somebody, you better have that documented in some way. So even if it's an exchange of text messages, that's a wise thing to do. If you're trading money with somebody or some kind of agreement, even with a family member, I've learned from Judge Judy, especially with a family member or friend. But here's the other thing I've learned from watching Judge Judy on occasion. It's uh, who are the local attorneys in the area? Because they seem to advertise during Judge Judy, People's Court, these kind of things. So first of all, I've learned about the Pendleton Law Firm, the heavy hitters. Marks and Harrison, you call them what? You tell them you mean business. We, you've seen Jay Tronfield and Associates. You're only a call away from Jay. You probably know these jingles. You can call Joel Bieber. There's Allen and Allen. There's the Jeff McDonald and Associates. But here's the point of the commercials. There's big money for you. If somebody offends you or wrongs you in some way, you can go on the attack. The message is you want a tough, aggressive person looking out for your rights and your property. And so, just so you don't misunderstand, I think you probably do need an attorney if you're wading into the legal realm in some area of your life. But Jesus is going to speak into this context here. And it's going to remind us that we do not have to go on the attack when we've been wronged. That you and I, instead of going on the attack, we can give mercy to somebody who's wronged us. We can offer forgiveness to somebody who has wronged us. Jesus is calling us to a very different approach in our daily lives lives. And so let's hear it together. Matthew 5, 38. Let's just go through verse 42 as we get started. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So let's pause there. I think you're gonna see with me that this section of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount might be the most difficult section for us to apply. I mean, that's saying a lot because Jesus has taken us through things like adultery and lust and murder and anger and even the pain of divorce and all that. But we come here, and I bet your flesh is like my flesh, reacts against what Jesus says here about about not reacting to insults, not reacting to my rights being infringed upon here. Remind ourselves this, that Jesus is bringing up to us his kingdom values, and his values are very different than the values of the world we live in. So it's right for us to react because we've been discipled by the culture. By the way, let me remind you, you're being discipled by somebody either through Christ or the culture. And if all you're doing is consuming over your lifetime what the culture is telling you, it's very different than what Jesus is telling you. There's gonna be a reaction you. So here's my prayer, that you'll keep your heart open and your mind open to hear the words of Jesus that are gonna clash with what your flesh is gonna sense is right. Remember, Jesus is calling us to a surpassing righteousness than anything else that life offers. First thing Jesus is gonna tell us here is this, that there is a call to radical grace toward others. A call to radical grace toward others. It begins with verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Here Jesus is referring to Old Testament law. It was how their legal system worked. And we have three examples here, Exodus 21, 23. You shall appoint as penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Leviticus 24, 19. If a man injures his neighbor, just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for, sh- for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on him. Or Deuteronomy 19, 21. Thus you shall show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So here in the old covenant, we're told what is right and what is fair as a penalty if you've committed a crime against somebody. So the purpose of this concept, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, was for justice in their legal system. It was to protect society by deterring more crime. So a person would see this punishment inflicted and a person, if they're wise, would go, I don't want that to ever happen to me. And so I won't do that thing that brings that punishment back on a person. So it's a deterrent. But it's also, if you notice, the eye for eye, tooth for tooth measure is to ensure fairness and to limit the punishment coming to somebody. In other words, the punishment was to fit the crime. So there's really grace in this as you hear. It sounds so harsh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But basically it was this, if you do a crime, then the punishment coming back should match the crime. So if you have injured somebody in a certain way, only at that same level can the punishment come back. So do you hear how it measures the punishment? It was a good standard for the law. It ensured equitable justice. One scholar put it this way, it guaranteed the injured person legal justice while protecting the offender from undue penalty. So that was the legal standard, but Jesus now says, that's what you've heard, but now let me speak to you in your personal dealings with other people. The law is gonna function on the eye for eye, tooth for tooth measure, but I want you to operate in your personal life by a different measure. And so he turns us to four examples here. And the first one is this, that you and I in our personal dealings are to turn the other cheek. We're to turn the other cheek. This famously is brought up in verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So what does that mean? What's Jesus referring to here? Does that mean that you have to let yourself get beat up if somebody comes at you like that? Does this mean you cannot defend yourself from an assault? Does this mean you can't even block a punch? Somebody's coming at you, you can't even try to deflect that? No, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. We need to understand what a slap on the face meant in the first century. A blow to the right cheek was the most grievous insult possible at that time. Maybe you've watched old movies and you've seen somebody pull off their glove and they'll swipe somebody on the face with their glove. And what have they done? They've challenged this other person. They've deeply insulted them. And that's more what we have Here when Jesus brings up the striking on the right cheek and turning the other. Jesus is not talking about, it's not even the context here of personal self-defense. It's not the context of defending your home. A slap on the cheek was an insult. You're being challenged. So turning the other cheek means you don't have to take the bait when you're insulted. You don't have to try to defend your honor when your honor is attacked. You don't have to seek revenge. You don't have to hold that grudge that you're tempted to hold. So let me ask you at this point here, are you engaged in any kind of tit for tat, get even type of relationship with somebody in your life? Do you have the mindset in you, oh, you hurt me, then I'm gonna strike back at you twice as hard as you came at me. Do you have as your motto, oh, I don't get angry, I get even. Listen, if that's you, that's ungodly. That's sinful. Your savior calls that out. Those are worldly values. Though it seems so right. Your flesh cries out, no, that's how I am and I'm right. Jesus said, you're wrong. It's not the surpassing righteousness that you and I are called to as his children. So we ask the question, how can I fail to respond when I'm deeply insulted, when I'm challenged? How do I not strike back? Listen, you can avoid striking back when you recognize that you serve someone far greater than yourself. Your mission on the earth is not to preserve your honor, and your dignity. You're here for the honor of God. You're here for his fame, his glory. Then we're more likely, when we're we're keenly aware, I'm here for him and his glory. If you insult me, I can let that roll off. It's not going to feel good. My flesh might want to react, but I'm here for someone greater. I'm here for something greater than my own kingdom. I'm here for expanding the kingdom of God. And so personal slights don't have to bring a reaction from me. It's interesting, David, even in the old covenant, modeled this for us. Remember how King Saul was always trying to kill David. David did nothing against him in these long seasons where he's on the run from King Saul. And there were those two occasions, famously, remember the one where David's in a dark cave and King Saul comes in and, and it's dark and David is within reach of him, could have killed him. David knew he could have killed him, but could not do that. So he cut off part of his robe and, and then held onto it. Then when they're outside the cave, David's able to say, you are given to me. You are then my grasp and I did not kill you. you, I've done nothing to you. You've been trying to kill me, but I did not get revenge for you. Remember what King Saul said? He said, David, you're more righteous than I am. Jesus is calling us to that righteousness, that surpassing righteousness beyond anything the scribes and Pharisees had, beyond any kind of religious externals, calling for something radically different in our hearts. So here we are, the people of God, who've experienced radical grace from Jesus Christ, his spirit now within us, and God calls us, you need to give radical grace to other people in your life. You do not have to retaliate when you've been insulted. So Jesus calls us to turn the other cheek. Notice next, he calls us to give more than you're expected to give. Give more than you're expected to give. This is verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. So what's that? So in those days, according to their law, if you could not make payment on some fine or some judgment levied against you, you might be expected to give up your clothes. But they could never ask for your outer garment. Your outer garment was a blanket to you. You needed that for warmth and so the law never asked for that but you would give you might be told to give away your clothing it says something about the value of clothing at that time one commentator explained it this way Jesus is not speaking of a robbery in which a person tries to steal your clothes but of a legitimate claim of anyone who wants to sue you when a person who had no money or other possessions the court would often require the finer judgment to be paid by clothing the attitude of a kingdom citizen when who is truly righteous should be willingness to surrender even one's coat, his extremely valuable outer garment rather than cause offense or hard feelings with an adversary. The court could not demand the coat, but it could be voluntarily given to meet the required debt. So what's the point of this? That if you've wronged somebody, you want to make it right that you'll you'll even go beyond what's required. So our mindset is people in the kingdom of God who've experienced radical grace is not this, hey, what's the minimum I could do to get you off my back? Ours is, no, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll give more than required to restore this and make it right to you. I know I'm required to give you my shirt to make this right, but you know what, I'm gonna go beyond that. I'm gonna even give you my coat as well. So we're to turn the other cheek Jesus says, give more than you're expected to give. Then third, go farther than you are required to go. Go farther than you're required to go. This is that famous, go the extra mile. Verse 41, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. And that's foreign to us, that whole concept. When have we ever been told to go a mile? But it it was a thing in the first century. A Roman soldier could legally demand that a Roman citizen carry his gear for a Roman mile, it's a little bit less than one of our miles. He could make that demand of somebody. Can you imagine how demeaning that would be? You're under this Roman oppression. You don't wanna do anything to help your oppressors, but they'll make you do it and legally you better do it. But Jesus says, don't just go the one mile, offer to go a second mile. Imagine that. This is Jesus saying, don't just go about life with what's fair. I'm calling you to radical grace toward other people. Now, we've often heard this, go the extra mile in other contexts. I suppose it's not bad. It's just not what Jesus intended. Sometimes people have used it like a good business principle. Hey, people come into your store, go the extra mile for them. And that, that's self-serving actually, but not bad. It's a good business principle. I hope businesses will do that. I want to do a little extra for you to make you want to come back. That's all fine. But notice Jesus is going well beyond something that will help your business. This, is, this seems completely unfair. I'm being demeaned. I'm being demanded to do something I don't want to do but I can offer, I can offer to actually go a second mile. So the point here, Jesus is calling for us to be servant minded. He's calling us to a spirit enabled selflessness. What else can I do to help you? That's what we do. So let's imagine the scenario, a Roman soldier comes upon one of Jesus's followers and says, hey, you carry my gear. We're going a mile. And imagine at the end of that mile, one of Jesus's followers said, hey, you mind if I help you with the second mile? That would blow the mind of the Roman soldier. Like I've never had anybody offer to go the second mile. You, you know it would be an opportunity to explain, here, here's why I'm different. I've experienced radical grace. I deserve judgment and condemnation from God. But Jesus has come and transformed my life. And now I just want to serve other people in his name. I mean, there is something very different that Jesus is calling for for us. Turn the other cheek. Give more than you're expected to give. Go farther than you're required to go. And then fourth, give and loan freely. Be generous, he's saying. Look at verse 42. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now the implication here that it's a real need. Jesus is not commanding us to give to everybody's foolish and wasteful requests. Well, if anybody asks take my bank account, it's not that. But he is calling us to a generosity here. He's calling us to an attitude of stewardship and abandoning any kind of selfishness. Now, this is an extreme, extremely different, difficult and different teaching for us, isn't it? I mean, this is not how I want to operate. I think that most people are thinking a lot about their rights. I'll only do what I'm required to do. These are my rights. And I'll only give what I'm required to give and lay off my stuff. This is what causes people to fight. You trample on their rights or you start messing with their stuff. Now we start to fight. And Jesus says you need to hold your rights and your stuff a lot more loosely than you've been holding them. There's a higher priority than that that you should have in your mind. This is hard for us because one of our first words as children, your mom probably told you, one of your first words was mine, raising our daughters, I mean, mommy and daddy comes in there in different, or probably daddy first, it's easier to say, right? And then uh, mine, well, they got the concept of possession pretty early, you know? And that's nothing wrong, that's kind of right. You shouldn't be taking stuff from me. But listen, a lot of us as adults, we hang on to that mindset. It's mine, what's mine, what's yours, stay away from me. And Jesus calls us to something very different. We're, a, we're to display the grace of God in even these areas of our lives. And didn't Jesus model this for us perfectly? Jesus came to his earth and what did he experience here? Disrespect and dishonor from the people that he had made at the creation. And yet Jesus didn't spend his earthly ministry settling scores with all the people that offended him. If he did it, we would've thought that was right, (laughs) but he didn't. Yes, he confronted the hypocrites, but he spent his time loving people, teaching people, healing people and moving toward a cross where he's gonna give his life for the sins of a world who'd sinned against him. It's amazing. What Jesus did. He endured. Think about it. Rather than striking back, Jesus endured slander, insults, injustice, going to the cross. Remember the cross was capital punishment. He didn't deserve it. He's completely perfect. The only perfect one ever who walked the earth. And Jesus allows himself, stretches out his hands to die on a cross. So did Jesus put into practice what he's telling us here in the Sermon on the Mount? Did Jesus turn the other cheek? He absolutely did rather calling down legions of angels to defend him, to take him back safely to his heaven, he let himself experience that because that was the mission, to give himself for the sins of the world. He turned the other cheek. Did he give more than was required? Oh, he gave all. Who could have demanded such a thing? But Jesus goes to the cross and pours out his entire life. He pours out his blood for sinners like us. Did he go the extra mile? He left heaven. And he came to earth and all the way to that cross where he would die for us. Nobody's given more. This is radical grace that Jesus has given. And we as his children are to model that and extend that grace, even when it feels very unfair in this world around us. Here's how gracious he is. If you come to Jesus in your sin and you've sinned against him so many times, but if you come humbly and you ask Jesus to forgive you for your sins, to be your savior, he'll save you because he came for you and gave all for you. What radical grace he offers to you. Well, we're called to radical grace toward others. We'll do the rest of this more quickly, but notice this secondly, a call to radical love toward others. We're to extend radical grace toward others, but we're to give radical love toward others, catch it, even to our enemies. Verses 43 through 47 now. Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Here's an occasion where Jesus is not quoting from the old covenant, but the people's common understanding of it. The old covenant never taught us to hate our enemies, but commonly people felt like, yeah, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, love my people, and I'll hate all those other people. Never was the teaching of God. Remember Leviticus 19, 18, even old covenant, you shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But here Jesus again calls us to a very different approach to the people around us. Radical grace, radical love, even toward our enemies. And and here Jesus brings up God as the perfect example of this. That even though there's a judgment coming where everybody will get what is due to them, even though that's coming in the meantime, isn't God gracious even to the righteous and unrighteous? And he points here to agriculture where God lets the rain fall on the crops of the righteous and on the unrighteous. Still waiting on judgment where perfect justice will come, but in the meantime, isn't there kindness on God? The, the sunshine that the crops need, it's gonna be on the righteous and on the unrighteous. God is being kind even to his enemies, but what is the ultimate example of God's kindness, even his loving his enemies? It is the cross where Jesus died for people who hated him, who were rebels against him. And the scripture speaks of this beauty over and over again, that God loved his enemies, us. How about Romans 5.10? While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or Romans 5.6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We're so familiar with those statements, but isn't it stunning that that God would die, Jesus would die for the ungodly, for the helpless, for his enemies, for sinners like us? What an amazing thing that God would love his enemies like that. Think about with me. What did Jesus say on the cross as he was dying? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Isn't that amazing? This is him loving his enemies, even the people putting him on the cross. You say, well, that's Jesus. He can do the impossible because he's Jesus and I'm a mere man or I'm a mere woman. Remember Stephen, that wonderful deacon in Acts chapter seven, been preaching the gospel, now being stoned to death. He sounds very much like Jesus as he's dying. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This is an amazing standard. These kingdom values, don't they seem impossible to us? But let me lay one more on you that'll actually make you you wonder even more about what Jesus is calling us to do. Jesus now just simply says, now be perfect. Yeah, I thought so, I thought so. I can't do it. Look at verse 48. After all this that we already say, this is already impossible. My flesh doesn't want to do this. Verse 48, therefore you're to be perfect as your heavenly father, is perfect, there it is, what's he mean, he means be mature, completely mature, be complete, notice with me, the Sermon on the Mount really provides a similar function to the Ten Commandments, if we're thinking clearly, when we read the Ten Commandments, none of us puffs up our chest, beats our chest, and says, look at me, I have fulfilled the Ten Commandments, if we're paying attention, the Ten Commandments says, you're a lawbreaker, right, and Jesus elaborates on that here in the Sermon on the Mount, but the Ten Commandments, they humble us. They tell us God's reasonable, righteous standard, and we're humbled because none of us have perfectly kept these commandments. Now we come to the New Covenant, we're on the Sermon on the Mount, and aren't you similarly humbled? Like, I have not lived by these standards. I have not been this gracious. I have not been this loving like this. So even the Sermon on the Mount exposes that we're falling short and we, we might even be tempted to despair. But isn't it wonderful, and isn't it reasonable that God calls us to perfection? What else would God call us to than to say, you need to be perfect like I'm perfect. And I'm even gonna help you do it by my spirit in you. But isn't that the right standard? Listen, no good coach ever told his players, hey guys, today, 70% effort. Wouldn't that be crazy? Just give 70% effort, that's all I want from you. No good coach would do that. No good teacher would say, hey students, Just aim for a C minus. D D plus, no, you know what? D minus, just barely make it. Isn't it right? No, A plus, we're aiming for that. And so God is right to tell us, I want you to be fully obedient. I want you to be all in. You're expected to be all in, fully surrendered to me. So I lay this charge before you because Jesus lays it before us. Be mature, Christian. Be, Be perfect. Rise up, live up. To that standard. No longer settle for mediocrity in your spiritual life. Maybe you've used as a pastor long, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Jesus says, you be perfect <laughs> as your heavenly father's perfect. When you fall short as you will, as I do, what do we do? Lord, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I know the standard. Please forgive me. I get up now. I want to follow after you. Aren't you glad for his grace, his ongoing grace? No longer settle for a lack of grace and love in your life. Jesus leaves no room for a grouchy graceless, loveless Christian. No longer can we say it's just my personality. I'm just the type of person who fights back. I'm a fighter. Jesus says, no, you're not, that's ungodly. He calls us to a supernatural life by the transforming power of the spirits. So you say, yeah, I, I can't do this apart from Christ. No, we can't do it apart from Christ, but we have Christ. You say, I can't do this in my own strength. You don't have to, you can't do it in your strength, but we have the spirit of the living God Inside of us, empowering a very different life. Let's, let's pursue it. Let's live up to what Jesus is calling us to do. So again, we've been humbled by this. So, so what do we do? Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus as your savior. You've never brought your sin and your guilt to him. That's your move. Run to Jesus today with your guilt, with your sin. Bow before him. Wave the white flag. Acknowledge him, Lord, I've been an enemy of yours. I have been hostile. I've been a rebel of yours, but no longer I surrender all to you. Jesus, you died on a cross for me. You were raised from the dead. I put all my hope in you, Jesus. I'm trusting in you. Take over my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. That's your move. Then all of us having made that move now, how should I live in this world? Oh, I want to live by your kingdom principles, Lord, but I need you to make it possible. How about this? Let's close with this. This is Romans 12, 14 through 21. It's an echo of what we just read. Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray.